Hi, I may be Love Lady. In this episode of The Very Black Male Show, we conclude our conversation with Robert Pruitt. We meet in his studio home across the street from Texas Southern University here in Houston, Texas. In this half, Robert gives his thoughts on how to be an effective visual artist. He allows a number of self-critiques and opens up about some of the ways in which he helps his drawings to protect themselves once they have already left the studio. Without further delay, Mr. Robert Pruitt. <laughs> I said, what were some of the influences at the time? Oh, yeah. You know, and like, uh, you already mentioned Charles Wyatt as far as, you know, an instructor of an instructor mm-hmm. of an instructor. I, I worked with um, Carrie James Marshall. I mean, not Carrie James Marshall. Michael Ray Charles. Michael Ray Charles. Um, you know his work? Yes. Yeah, and so working with him, he was like a big influence, and like he's now here in Houston at U of H. Yeah, um, and we had some really good conversations. Um, yeah, I, I would say he was a huge influence, just some sort of understanding, like what I was getting into, like being an artist in this art world, being a black artist in an art world that doesn't really value the content of the things that we're making, mm-hmm. like. And having to, you know, maybe use some of that as material, like how they don't understand what we do. Maybe that is our problem. Yeah. Or why are you doing it? Yeah. What do you think about the art world? You know, uh, I, I, just yeah. What do you think <laughs> about the? Art? I want to preface that to make it softer, but it's not really like a question. Well, that needs well what to be do you softer. mean? Not to make it softer, but like, what do you, I mean? The art world yeah, is like a know, giant. Thing and yeah, there, so like, there are what are tears to it? And what are your experiences with it? And, you know, um, you're I think of you as a successful artist, and you've traveled a lot, uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of it and its effect on? Ah, see, this is the real question. What do you think of the art world and its ability to affect people? You know, through the work. You know, like when you see paintings like yours or drawings like yours. Uh, I feel like someone could identify with it, you know, somebody that I know could identify with it, which is the reason that we may fall in love with it, you know. But I always wonder, what is it that uh, white people see in <laughs> in black art? And I hate to even use the term, but yeah. it is, you know. I, I think it's okay to use the term. I think we get that, like, we're trying to maybe generalize to get to a point. Um, what do they see? I And you don't have to get too caught up on what do white people see, but I just, I but, really want to know, like, what do you think, like, the effect of the art kind of, it has on the people, you know? I'll say it like this, what, I, what, I, what I'll try to talk about is how I make my work, keeping in mind that it is going out into a world that may not really appreciate the figures and the content of it, and maybe consuming it for reasons that I would not, you know, be too excited about. Like, I, and, so I'm doing all these drawings, black figures, black bodies, black women a lot of times, and like, I, it really kind of structures what I reveal and what I don't, you know? Like, what I'll put in a drawing, what I won't put in a drawing, or what I'll hide in a drawing. Yeah, I think the art world professes to be, you know, sort of like a really open, anything can happen, and a lot of like, I 
ideologies are, are welcome and, and can be discussed and dissected. But I think that's all well and good until it actually like challenges, you know, like you know, the economies and the identities and the power of of who gets to determine what, you know. And yeah, I, got, I mean, I think that's what I think of it. Like that, there's only room for that kind of stuff if it's willing to kind of um, like. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like subdue itself. Um, I don't know how to say that any clearer. There's only room for expression and identity and pride as long as it's, as long as, as, long as it lives underneath the microscope and doesn't try to. As long as it, as long, I would say that, as long as it lives under a particular set of um, ideas and rules. Um, Do you feel as if you, you know, I mean, of course, you don't have to show your work, you know? You know, like, do you ever think oh, of, yeah. do you ever, do you, are there pieces that you say, nope, I'm never going to show that, you know, I'm never going to get oh, like, to I mean, there, there's work that I've made that I'm going to keep and probably not show. Uh, there's, yeah, and there's work that you, you know, there's some pieces that have been destroyed accidentally, but I would have probably destroyed them, you know. I I did a piece, um, uh, you, you listen to Outcast. Yeah. Are you familiar? Well, I mean, you know, how old are you? Oh, man. 24. So back in the day, like. Um, the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know who Kitori Johnson is? Mm, uh, no. Say Here, we go. Here we go. <laughs> it's not. It's, this is just like nuance. But Keto Johnson was a, a, a like a, a what would you call it? A model, double XL, you know, okay. video vixen kind of. But before those things had really kind of been, before that was like a real career path. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like related to Big Boy, but super fine, like real fine. And um, I did this. This piece, I used to make these like Norman Rockwell uh, pieces where I would uh, scan one of his paintings and then just sort of like mess around with, you know, because he makes this like Americana, right? Like these, these ideas of Americana and, mm -hmm. and really wholesome, but the thing that's excluded often, not all the time, because he, you know, he did have some sort of like uh, very powerful like pieces on race, but one of the things that will, that will be excluded, I feel like, from Americana is like, the, there, there are parts of black life that don't get to be included in that. And so I did this piece where I replaced, uh, there was a farm image of this, this farmer, this white farmer, showing his daughter how to like, you know, do something with this young calf, right? It was a very like wholesome farm image. And I replaced the, the calf with Ketoy Johnson. Already problematic, right? Replacing like this animal with this black woman. Um, but for me, I kind of wanted to like place the black body in this situation that I like. For me, it kind of feels like that's how they kind of see us as these objects. Um, and it was, you know, it's meant to be kind of funny and tongue in cheek and you know, this sort of thing. And I really, you know, I made this piece. It was digital, printed out on canvas, um, and and sold the piece. Um, I think I sold it through my gallery, the gallery, and like. 
went to a party. I was in New York and I went to a party and I was at this the person who bought it at their house and I saw it on their mantle. It was a little small, you know, digital print and it just really made me feel like, oh, what am I doing? Like this room full of white people and it's like black woman's body like in this thing. Like for me, there's all these like political ideas and social ideas in the piece uh, that I think get lost in the sort of um, like humorous consumption of the image by people who don't have any kind of, you know, real uh, investment in black identity and black power and black futures and that kind of thing. And that kind of really affected like what I made from then on. And so there are certain things I would not put in my work or you know, if I did, it would, it would it would be in a very different way than that. Yeah. You mentioned that you hide things in the pieces. What did you mean like by that? Uh, I mean, sometimes I'll give uh, you know some of the figures weapons or or things that aren't as noticeable when you first look at them. Because sometimes I, I do think like I try to make an image, and for me, like oh, I want to make this person beautiful, and, and you know, it's kind of thing that like gives this delight for a person to look at. Um, but then hidden within it is, sometimes I, and I haven't done this in a while, but I would think of it as, I mean, this sounds crazy, but like, once I, you know, once these things leave the studio, these people are responsible for their own sort of protection. And so I wanted to give them a little bit of something to protect themselves, you know? I mean, it's imaginary, I mean, they're fictional images, but box cutter or a knife or gun or something for them to kind of like, you know. Hold it down once they are right. out of the nest. Right. Yeah. It's just about like how images of us get consumed, you know, and we sometimes play into that consumption. And so I try to like, you know, place things in it that make that consumption just a little more complicated. Like these are beautiful black people, but they're you if you consume them, you're also consuming like an idea of black power of you know that these people identify a type of black power type of yeah yeah, yeah. no that's that's dope that's dope do you ever feel like um i mean i i I'm sure this will never happen, but is it uh, does it feel risky you know ever uh Making certain um, pieces, you know, portraits, um, or inserting certain things into the photos, or you know, um, what risk? When when do you ever feel like you're, you know, like taking risks? You know, I I think part of the thing, like for me, part of the problem is like I don't often feel like I'm taking a risk, which is one of the the I think criticisms I have of myself. The one thing that I, I am dealing with now is like, I use guns in my work a lot. And just because of the climate we're in, it's really it's starting to make me question how I use guns in the work. And, but I, I don't know where I am with that yet, but yeah. Mm. Do you think um, that uh, in your experience, in your personal life has, gun violence and you know around you been getting worse or do you think it's just I, I heard these two different uh, separate philosophies on this where there's people who 
and without a doubt believe that it's getting worse. And then there's people who think that, no, it's not getting worse, it's but just uh, it's just more visible. Um, are you of either of those? I, it's hard, for me, it's hard to say. So like, like I said, I moved to South Park when I was in high school. Yeah. I'm talking about violence. Yeah. Like, I saw crazy, more than I've ever seen in third ward or fourth ward, right? Living on South Park. Yeah. And, but, I mean, and, and the, the violence where these cops are killing people, I don't think that that's in any way new. I just think that, you know, I, on that side, I think, yeah, we're just seeing it now. Like, I remember being in high school and kids talking about, I mean, I was like a, a, a nerd. I stayed at home. I didn't do anything. So I was not experiencing these things. But, well, some stuff. But I do remember, like, kids talking about their their encounters with the police and them being very violent. Like, the police, like, exacting violence as a, as a recreational thing almost, you know. Uh, so I don't think any of that is new. <clears throat> but that guy in Dallas, like shooting those those five cops, or even like Chris Dorner, a few, you know, was that two years ago? Do you remember Chris Dorner? I don't. The the cop in I forget what city he was in. Very similar thing, was killing cops. That is That feels new, you know. I, I, I don't think we've seen that kind of thing. Oh, at the at the at the base. At the base? No, it wasn't was it a the, base, was it? Chris Dorner. No. He wasn't one of the um, soldiers who was at the uh, at like a military base that was shooting people, or maybe not. This is this. I can't remember. Navy Reserve. He was military, definitely. Yeah. But I think he was killing cops. Yeah, that's what it says here. So you think, you feel that that's new? I feel the, the way those things are happening, like that's new. Like, that neither of those men, I, I think they're both like individuals. Sure. Acting on like an individual kind of... Um, and black people have endured a whole lot of stuff and we've never really responded not since like fucking like slave rebellions and that kind of thing have we responded like that I mean there's some there's some like some, we have never responded violently we have never responded with like collective violence no I mean you know you have your sort of like right. black panthers with like a defensive stance and then from that you have your your uh your BLA who kind of set out or even like the weathermen these people who set out on these like really strategic tactical kind of like um, and those were collective acts against like these kind of systemic things but they were not targeting like this guy like that guy in Dallas like I'm just going to kill some cops like I don't think we've seen like an like an individual so mad at the system that he responded with that. And I, I think that's something we should sort of pay attention to. It's kind of scary to me because the problem with it is that other than like, I mean, beyond the sort of notion of him like, I'm just gonna randomly pick out these people and kill them. And if you see that as any sort of like 
justification. Like, if you feel like in any way that he is justified in doing what he's doing, the problem is that it doesn't come from a collective action. It doesn't come from planning. It doesn't come from, like, oh, we need to protect ourselves. And it doesn't come out of a moment of defense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, he felt defenseless, you know. Like, he felt yeah. like he had no other. It's like when you put a dog in, like, a, like you know, like a little room, small room, and then he's trying to get out, but you're the only thing between him and the door. Right, and I, I, that for me is a little. I don't know if we've ever felt back into a corner that way, and I mean, I don't know. I'm not the person to speak on it because my understanding of these histories is not really that. Like, I don't have the greatest of understanding of like the nuance of all those histories, but you know, because it was also the the DC sniper dude, but I think he was literally. You remember the DC Sniper? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He you was know, on some other stuff. But. It does feel like um, a lot of work in our world and just a lot of conversation generally has been more and more about um, a handful of topics. Uh, people advocating for change about you know some social or political issue and then nothing happening. Right, um, and then people advocating to be understood, and then uh, from any any side, whether you're red or blue or you know whatever, and then for the most part, no resolution without battle, you know. Mm. And so I don't I don't remember a uh, I can't think of anything outside of like basketball. You know, like me playing with my friends where there was ever an issue or uh, an issue of identity or an issue of, of uh, you feel like you're being undervalued where there was an issue and then we just said okay let's work it out right now and then we're going to walk away and it's going to be cool I feel like that only happens in the streets you know it doesn't seem to happen Nationally, you know, there seems to always be a fight, and some of these fights, as far as uh, you know, and people feeling victimized, they seem like they've been going on for so long that you know it's not gonna, nothing's gonna happen unless there's a big bang. You know, like people have been using that word, yeah. the term civil war, for so long, oh, like up for like the last week. You know, man, that is silly, only because <laughs> this is why that guy, that dude in Dallas. It's dangerous because let's say that a civil war jumped off. We would not survive that. Who would? They would. I mean, but who are they? They're white us. Folks. They're not just white, you know. The the power structure and those it deems to protect would stay in power and would survive. You and me? No. I'm surviving. Stay my ass at home. You know, I mean, what I'm, but they got, what, there's an outcast. He's like, they got guns. From where they, they stay shoot, at. They got guns that can blow out your back from where they from stay where at. From where they stay at, exactly. From the crib. So your, your home is not any protection. If at some point, for some reason, the infamous they decided to begin to eradicate us, we're not in any sort of position to really defend ourselves. So that's even, and I don't mean that in like a defeated sort of, I'm just saying like a factual sort of like. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you ever feel at the mercy of, I mean, do you ever feel at the mercy of um, those politically uh, empowered, you know? How do you mean? I you're, mean, certainly there, there are moments when you get pulled over, you feel like you're at their mercy. Yeah. In general, I do not, when I'm driving around here, I don't feel that. When you're in your neighborhood. Right. I, I mean, maybe, I mean, like what I'm saying, what I was just saying, like that feels like we're at their mercy. Um, but my day-to-day -day experience, I don't know if that's a feeling that really kind of, you know, is, is inside of me. Like I do kind of feel, I mean, I feel empowered when I see black people doing, like just doing themselves. Like that's empowering to me. Like, yeah. you know, all the things that we, all the messages we sort of, we, we receive, from the world, which are primarily about ways for us to assimilate so that they feel more comfortable around us. When we like don't do that, when we go out and get gold teeth, when we get these tattoos, when we wear these garish colors, when we do all these things, like that empowers me that we still have not like completely given over like our, our cultural selves to this this other thing. This monolith of a system. Yeah. Which is why certain things kind of come up in my in my work, like these notions of, of like exhibitionism, like personal style, and, you know. And I don't see that any, as any sort of saving grace, but I see it as a, a sign for me that we have not yet completely like lost, you know. Hmm. It's a kind of you know little small acts of. Maybe not even rebellion, because I think when you position something, it's like, you know, me wearing my grill, is it rebellious? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it is, but should it be? Like, because that also kind of legitimizes whatever it is that. Like, it gets powered by. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, no, I'm just doing me. Which but, is like, I mean, know. oftentimes, it, it may not be about resistance to that thing. It's about, yeah, like. Preservance. Oh, yeah. Of your thing. Right. Even though it still holds a, a level of resistance. Huh. <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> I think it's amazing, you know. I mean, I think of um, I, 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 I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you understand Afrofuturism. And um, I wouldn't say I understand it. Like I feel like it's a conversation that happens that I don't ever quite know what people are talking about yeah but I know my own sort of like um, relationship to some of the elements of it you know mm -hmm. I, could, I, I think that's the most I can say because I was when you described um, this idea of not being at the mercy of something but just kind of um, living in not being at the mercy of this thing when you're in your own space I started thinking about uh, how you're right. I mean, the black world is there's so many w l different realities that are going on at the same time. You know, there's a black world here, and then there's also this larger structure, which is just Greater Houston. You know, then there's an even larger structure, which is you know just the entire world dynamic. Um, right. And I think of the ways that we recede or find seclusion 
in our own universes within black culture you know right. even you can find you can find a nuance and then go and live in it you know right. and that could become your reality and um, yeah when um, the, the, the guy Philando Castillo when he was killed and I was, you know you're watching his videos some was, people don't watch it that was very traumatic for me because I have a handgun license and I always think you know, like if I follow the rules, you know, right, and that, I don't know what happened a couple of seconds right before or what the exchange was, but I do know that like, you know, I don't want to get shot, you know, right. <laughs> and right. I, I feel like he wasn't going to shoot that police officer. And that's the thing, like these things happen and then people start to like, you know, adjudicate all these little like micro moments of what he should have done, what didn't happen, what could have happened, what didn't happen. It's like. Ultimately, the intention of that guy was not to shoot that officer. Like, it was a mistake. I, I don't know anybody who really part. just... I know people who want to hurt police officers, but only in this, like... It's like a conceptual way, right. you know? Like, nobody right, right. actually... It's like listening to fuck the police. Yeah. But you're not actually... You're not about yeah. to go out and just... Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know people who... I know people who would do it, but I don't know anybody who just wants to do it. Like I don't, it just sounds ridiculous. Because then you remember, oh well, my cousin's a cop. There's right. people probably cool. You and know? that's the thing is that we we do see their humanity. I think that's the problem. People don't think that in all of that and fuck all that thing. Like we do recognize that these are people and they're human beings. They have families and like nobody's. Which is why that that guy that was that thing really went down like that. It's, it's a. It's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I was gonna say like you talk about these like retreating to these like little um, well, I don't know what you say like micro communities or something. Like yeah, you, your own nuance of when, universe. When I was watching, you know, his girlfriend's video, that woman Diamond, which is an amazing name, I couldn't take it. I had to turn it off and immediately go to my basketball Twitter and read about something that was yeah like I had to I had to escape I couldn't it was just too heartbreaking and I, I've been doing that a lot the last few days like let me go read about KD and what people think about him leaving yeah. okay see the way and way and all this kind of stuff you know yeah you, you they are spaces for, for you to retreat into like even though basketball has a whole other landscape of Show sure does. Oh my god. Do you think KD is ring chasing? Yes. For sure. Yes. Do you think that's like the noble way to Oh noble I don't think it's noble. I, I okay. I've really been struggling with this. Yeah. More than I should, given how ultimately unimportant it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I've really been struggling with it. Because okay, to set it off, like I'm not a Warriors fan. Right? I'm a big LeBron fan, so automatically I'm like, well, you know, Warriors, whatever. Um, but I, I mean, I, I respect the Warriors, like, you know. When he, when, when OKC almost beat the Thunder, for me, that sealed it. He's not going to, he's not going to. I don't want to say it's weak. It seemed like a weak move. I don't want to say that, man. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. Because ultimately, how, like, the line that we we put between him joining Golden State and 
and LeBron teaming up with Bosch and Wade. Like, how substantial is that line, really? I think it's pretty wide, man. Like, Did there, you really think there was that? no, I mean, everybody, you know, D Wade. How many? I don't know how many times he's been an All Star, but nobody thought of them as a. I don't think anybody thought of them as a superstar team. Oh. Yeah. Do you think so? The three of them when that first no, happened. Prior to oh, prior no, 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 to no. prior so, to the so making the move. Those are the differences, right? Like, like right. you know, Miami was not like the mega. You know, the the right. mega look. They wasn't. They weren't. You know, early two thousand Lakers or something like right. that. Right. But that's. But I'm, what I'm saying is, I feel like that distinction may not be that substantial. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I my like honest feeling is like that was real weak, KD. Like. That's how I'd be feeling too. It's but like, it just I'm, seems like it, I'm wondering it, if that if my feeling about that is appropriate. I think it might not be appropriate. It's like if me and my I, this is how I look at it. If me and my homeboys, you know, are, are, are you know having coffee, kind of, we don't have coffee, but we're if we're having coffee, <laughs> you know, and then like you know it's five of us, and then five of some other guys come through that we see all the time, and then you know. We, we having a, an argument about I don't know sugar or no sugar or something mm-hmm. and then like they kick our ass and then like you know you know it's a close fight but then we <laughs> we lose we lose and then I'm just like yeah I'm rolling with them now yeah I'm right. gonna, I'm gonna see y'all when I see you we'll have coffee some other time maybe you know not in the coffee shop you know that just seemed like the cheapest like who what type of friend I mean it's about money it's a business at the it's end not of just day. no it's not about money. I don't think it's about money because he could have got money anywhere. Yeah, it, the money was not. He could have got more money and, and you know whatever. But that really showed me a lot about that guy's personality. Man, but look, it was weird, man. But look, it's a business. It's not just that it's a business. To have a ring, I mean, you saw what it did for LeBron, right? Like getting that ring in Cleveland. Yeah, LeBron was basically like the demon of the NBA for a long time, and now suddenly he's like the beloved golden child again. Which is, <laughs> you, you can't, I, I, I think that's where I'm having a struggle. Like, you can't, like. Uh, Turn on the switch on and off so quickly. No, no. You, you don't know? You, you can't underestimate the power of our criticisms on them. Right? Like, this thing about having a ring or not having a ring. I mean, ultimately, Barkley. Malone, who all these cats that don't have a rings. lot of people don't have rings. And, they were great players, considered great players. And well, as much of an asshole as Michael Jordan seems to be, there's a the 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 distance between him and the rest of them. Like he will always be this sort of like elevated figure. And like, I mean, I don't know. I think it. I think we have set them up for failure if they don't get a ring. If KD never got a ring, he will always he would always be considered. Yeah, but he just wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's inappropriate. He's happened to come at a time when LeBron and now uh, Steph and all in this league at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he got hurt. You know, all these different things happen, which is just stuff that happens. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm trying to. I don't want to be that person of like, man, that's weak, and you ain't no man, or whatever, all that kind of silly stuff. But a part of me feels that way. <laughs> like, that's sorry. Give me Westbrook any day. You know? 
I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, I mean, I do the same thing actually. Recede into sports because uh, it's it makes sense. You know, right. and you can. It's measurable. And it's non-threatening. It doesn't actually hurt anybody one way or the other. If some team wins, or if you figure some one thing out. But I've been thinking of this uh, relationship of, of this like this team building, you know, <laughs> like through a sports lens, and thinking about like the art institutions and uh, you know creative groups, business groups, whatever. And I, there's a there's so much value in understanding sports that I think goes way overlooked. You know, because I think team sports, you're you're forced to to figure out what type of personality you are, you know, and it'll help you in groups later down the line. I want to see a Houston curator basketball tournament, you know. That's a, <laughs> a little dream of mine. Yeah. You know, one day. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of the staffs are like all women, but you know, we I think get. You would be disappointed. I probably probably would. Because it would. <laughs> Like imagine, like you're talking about basketball. Yeah. But imagine if you were talking about football. Oh, that's. It terrible. would turn into a touch game. You know, like a t- like. Yeah. You it don't would want be to, so soft. Right. You, know, you soft. don't want to be a part of a touch version of basketball. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that would look like. It would be a long game. <laughs> well, I would love I to know. see that. I would love you know? to see something like it because I feel like, and I want to ask you more about what do you think about? Oh, well, you may not even talk about it but if you do it's cool like, uh, like what do you think about the Houston arts community mm. because um, you know I, I I always feel like I don't I try not to get too caught up in the art stuff because at the end of the day once I leave the museum you know I go home and I call my mom or I call one of my homeboys from the north side who really don't give a damn about this art <laughs> shit you know yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, their version of identity is, you know, you know, thinking about how their job is, you know, and what what's going on in their personal life. They're not really thinking about these high concepts. Right. That's something I really struggle with, with working in a museum and in an institution. When you, you know, we have these grandiose. Uh, the station is a special place, though. Yeah. If there's any place where say your homeboy from the north side would find a connection to some of this stuff, it might be at the station. I agree. Just because of the politics and the content and what is allowed to happen there. You're allowed to challenge things there. Yeah. Which is dope. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, you can, like, the art world is, like, open-minded until you start talking about certain things. Half of the shows y'all do at the station could never happen at any other museum. I feel like they could. I've never I, worked at one, though. That's what I've been trying to figure out. Number one, you guys have your own funding. When you're funded by oil companies, by all these different... There's certain things that, like, not happening. I wonder if people even try to push it, though. Like, who's pushing it? Like, do you have any stories of, like, times when you've heard of no. somebody trying to drive home a thing? And it didn't work out because I just don't think Not really. people were even confident enough to try to get it done. It's like point, my music I think director. We've all been well trained to know what's possible. I mean, there are things that you know we've tried to do, but they're not. 
it wasn't that that stopped me from happening. Harithus, you know, my museum director, he used to work at the camp. You know, he was at the Corcoran. I mean, subsequently he was fired from each one of these positions, but not before, like, he turned, you know, some pretty quality shows and left some pretty serious impressions on the community. And from the articles I read, at least, you know, I don't know too many of those folks who was around, but people from the... But that's a message. When he's fired, that's a message to other curators. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I can be a little pessimistic, but I, I kind of feel like there's certain things that just won't. But no, I don't have any, any examples of people attempting to do certain things, but I think it's because we kind of know that's not going to play. And there's so many like um, barriers to, to getting into these institutions that... You'll be well trained by the time you get to the top. Yeah, and it filters out so much stuff, you know, that, yeah. So my last serious question, because we're pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, we took a basketball break, but uh, <laughs> we came right back. Uh, how is, you know, do you think that um, art can actually save the world? You know, and what would saving even look like, you know, to you? Oh, man. Um, I do not think that art can save the world, but I think that's not a way to pose the idea that I think you're trying to get out of like the, the, the relevance of what we're doing. You know, James Baldwin's writing does not save the world, but his participation in, in various like, like notions of revolution and resistance cannot be understated, you know? And I, I think that what we do has the potential to be as relevant as that. I think visual arts uh, has kind of backed itself into a corner in that most of the resources that we like use come from these sort of like institutional spaces that basically we have tied ourselves, we have tied ourselves to the system in such a way that I think it's difficult for us to kind of be a part of like real substantive like change, you know? I, yeah, that's yeah. a feeling that I have. Do you have an example? I, I have myself as an example. Like, and I just realized there's a guy mowing the lawn outside. I don't know how this is going to affect the result. Oh, really? But you guys, if, you, if you're if you still listening, then um, hey. That's great, and I mean, we love you. Maybe they didn't notice it. You're right. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, now it's background noise. And now yeah. Okay. But, uh, what, what was that? What was I saying? Um, any examples of uh, the limits of visual art? You know. Oh I mean, yeah, I was saying that. I feel like we we are such a part of you know these various systems that because like oh I was saying that myself as an example like. I really do feel like I'm making some work that can be important. That, you know, 
you know, Kerry James Marshall talks about uh, the the, and I'm paraphrasing, but like the gesture of going to a museum and seeing these like, you know, grand old paintings, right? Um, and they don't reflect you, and wanting to kind of, you know, alter that experience by making works that can go in those places that, that challenge those things, do all these things that work within that. And I, as much as I love Carrie James Marshall, like I don't know if I agree with that thing per se, like that we can make a dent into that thing. I feel like maybe we should be taking the skills and the resources that we get from the art world and then working in a different kind of way. And that may just be my experience coming from Project Row Houses. Like instead of like trying to like exhibit in these museums, create a space that operates within a community and, and does a different kind of thing. Um, how that happens for like an individual artist such as myself, I really, really, really struggle with that. So I love making these images. I feel like um, the success in that way and like, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, these lofty ideas about change and that kind of thing, the success for me will probably happen, you know, via the internet and, and, and work that can move through those spaces. But I have never actually successfully, I mean, other than like, oh, work is on Tumblr and that kind of thing. People want to use my images for like their Facebook profile, which is, I, that's one of the things I love to see. But, don't think showing in museums is, and I'm not keep saying that kind of thing, but that's like as a representation of success in the art world, like getting these great shows or whatever. I don't think that that is effective. It's effective individually for the artists, you know, and there's an economy that kind of goes along with that. But if we're talking about like, you know, I'm talking about like the, the, the beauty in the like intrinsic resistance of black life and reflecting that back to black people and saying that that thing you're doing is valuable, that grill, those teardrop tattoos, all these things have value, then how is that effective if it's in a museum that they never go to? You know? So then like how do I get the work in front of me? set of people while still maintaining this sort of like notion of like elevated art like this is this is on a pedestal and this is you on a pedestal you know and that I struggle with and and I don't you know you know I still love comics and so I'm kind of dabbling with like well how can I do comics and maybe do that and maybe animation and whatnot and I, I just kind of barely touch on some of that stuff. I, but anyway. Yeah. Now you're getting into my own sort of like, what am I doing? <laughs> that's the whole point, man. That's the whole point, I think, of even for me doing interviews. Um, I mean, I look up to uh, Dick Cabet, and uh, he was an interviewer who used to interview, I mean, The guy was, I can't even think of anybody that he interviewed, but uh, Janis Joplin. Oh, um, oh. 
Oh, Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett. Yeah, yeah, Dick yeah, yeah. Sixties. Sixties. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. say it's called Cavett. Okay. Ali was on the show, right? There's some that aren't online, so I have no idea. But uh, yeah, a lot of his tapes got destroyed. But I look up to that guy because he—it's like those are the conversations that I think are the most important from you know people who are I think uh, significant um, as a representation of you know the masses. You know, and I think as an artist, you're part of the—I call y'all the uncles. You know. <laughs> You know, like y'all are the aunts and uncles before the next generation is going to kind of pass and come out of Houston. And I'm wondering what that's going to look like. And uh, the opinions that y'all have are going to be significant moving forward, even if that class of uh, artists doesn't even come from directly under y'all. You know what I mean? Um, the same way that you might not have come directly under whoever was a generation before you but him oh. and Charles White might have been cool you know what I mean yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah <laughs> so what's your favorite album man my favorite album yeah I can't answer that what my favorite album give me like alright well alright all right. I know you're right you're right cause I don't even got one either <laughs> and I'm thinking like what was I listening to last night what is if you had What's like like the desert yeah. island kind of thing? No. Ooh, yes, yes. I've done that. I've done that on the show before. Where like, if you were stuck on the island, what one oh, album would you bring, and what one book would you keep with you? You know, or comic would you keep with you? Oh man. And, you know, it's tough out here, man. It's post-apocalyptic, man. Twenty seventeen, February. <laughs> one book one album um the album thing is difficult stuck with it you got it that's the only one you got you know what okay if I'm stuck on an island and this is this is this is with the understanding that you are giving up something right of course like, it doesn't mean that this is like the best thing but the thing I think about is like, what am I not gonna like blow my mind out like <laughs> listening to over and over? And I would say black on both sides. Black on both sides. Yeah, okay. it has the perfect combination of like, just like you know, hip hop, like real like the range of the isms. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I think as a as a book, and if I'm gonna like if it's a like a graphic novel, I might go with The Watchmen, just because it's dense. It has like so many like images to kind of like look at and so many different like like ideas like it's not the kind of book that like I would want to read like right now all the time but if yeah. I was stuck on an island there's enough there for me to like pick it yeah you know not yeah. my favorite artist not my favorite writer but together it made this thing that's like beautiful it is a, I read it this, yeah. this year actually it's, a, it's my first graphic novel that I read and, and I look at that whole art form completely differently after yeah. that you know um, so I've, last question before I leave before we leave y'all um, if you had some advice to give 
And this is actually an interesting question for me to even ask you because uh, it sounds like, you know, I get this feeling that you you've been you've been blessed, you know, throughout your life, you know, and mod for the most part without too much conflict, you know, and that's not a bad thing. I think that's wonderful. And I so this question seems like it could backfire on me, but I'm gonna ask <laughs> anyway. What advice would you give to your younger self today or to future generations of artists that hear you uh, in the future, but mostly to your younger self? Younger self. Um, I mean, firstly, the, the conflict thing, like, I mean, everybody has their conflicts. I think I, I tend to, not, not that I don't dwell on them, I think we all dwell on, like, our various, like, issues and, like, and maybe maybe there are things I just don't feel comfortable talking about. I don't know. Um, but I mean, there have definitely been some trying moments. Advice to my younger self. You know, old man. As as positively as I talked about my time in grad school, I feel like maybe I I talked about it positively. Like yeah, you're hella optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I I think maybe in general like. Maybe that's my worldview, but I have been spending the last, you know, three, four, five years struggling to reverse engineer some of the like conclusions I came to in grad school. Like some of the, basically unlearning the rules, giving myself permission to work in a different kind of way. And so my advice to my younger self is to like, do not stop doing these things that you're doing, that you enjoy. Um, yeah, like, the more you move into these these, these sort of like, like pre-described roles for yourself as an artist and opportunities you get, the less you feel, yeah, you talked about taking risks. Yeah, the less you feel comfortable or even have time to take risks, you know? Oh, we love these drawings of, of, you know, these women and whatnot. Let's do a show, I, you know, you have a couple of shows coming up. That means you gotta get in the studio and make these things, right? You know, what about those times when you wanna like, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff I used to make. And most of it was terrible. And so, you know, when you, when you realize something is terrible, you stop like, pushing at it and you, you, know, you work on the things that are successful. But I think that there's a lot of like um, fertile ground that I have not been tending to, you know, that may not have any success in the art world. And so, I, I, yeah, I would tell myself to like, don't worry about that and like, you know, get back to creating in that same sort of space that you used to create from. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, yeah. I'll just ramble, but I feel you. I feel you. And Don't let anybody like determine how you work, man. There are no rules. There are no rules to what is happening. And people will tell you there are rules. There are no rules. Any any advice on love? On love? Yeah. Ah. Super relevant. Anytime. Yeah. All the time. Man. <laughs> I don't think Big Kevin's ever asked that. So we were talking earlier. Yeah. 
And I'll say that if a person is, well, for, let, me, let, me, let me preface it by saying, the right one, like how we think about that as young people is like an imaginary kind of thing. Like, we have these notions of like idealized kind of um, engagements with people we're, we're, we're in a relationship with. And the moment there's a hiccup or something doesn't, you know, or, you know, she didn't wear her hair the way I used to like, whatever, whatever these little things are, like, all of that is silly. Like, the person you're gonna be with is like a person and like a, a, a real person. And if that person like brings value to your life, and I don't mean like economic value or that kind of thing, but like enriches you as a person, it's worth like figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like now, if that person doesn't, then you know. <laughs> I, I personally feel that it's not, there are not that many options in the world, you know? I feel like the pickings are really slim, you know? Yeah. This is the Very Black Male Podcast. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs> Have a good day. God bless. This concludes part two of our discussion with Robert Pruitt. I want to thank you for listening. This episode of the Very Black Mail Show was sponsored by the Pizza Hut in Atascacita, Texas. It's not the police. It's Pizza Hut.